Hi everyone, I'm Wanya and welcome back to the Heal Mary podcast. I'm very excited today to introduce Michelle, co-founder of Cancer Treatment Options and Management. With over 25 years of experience, Michelle provides swift and personalized cancer care protocols for patients. And her mission is to make tailored treatment accessible for all of those facing a cancer diagnosis. So thank you so much, Michelle, for joining us today. You're welcome, Wanya. Thank you. I guess just to start us off, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself and how you got started in this field and how this led to you starting up Cetone? Yes, I was happily ensconced in an entirely other career working in mental health and addictions. And my area of expertise was eating disorders. I had done a lot of media, written a book, you know, was doing some good work there and really imagined that's what I would always do. And then about 14 years ago, my favorite uncle got cancer. And my mom did most of the heavy lifting in in her care of her brother. But I started scouring, as many of us do, many of us loved ones do, started looking around for what what are options, what are solutions. It can't just be, you know, you know, this sort of a life expectancy and just chemo. That didn't seem quite right. I had heard news, I had seen things about developments, and it just didn't seem right that that wasn't available. So all that is to say, I met this fellow by the name of Alex Roland, who at that time was just uh, finishing his degree uh, specific to cancer research. And he was just beginning his work with Terry Fox Lab, uh, BC Cancer and uh, UBC and all of those things. And his area uh, of uh, specialization really was using this new information we had about cancer being a genetic disease, a disease of genetic mutation or molecular features going sideways. Uh, His area of expertise was using that information to design new options for diagnostics and, and to help get better treatments. So, you know, we started talking about my uncle and he started helping me identify certain FDA approved, so peer-reviewed, vetted, known to be effective treatment options. And that's when it all started changing for me. Everything started changing in my world then, because that's when I found out that just because something is proven to be effective and is approved for use in whatever country you happen to be in, I'm in Canada, does not mean that it's actually being used. That was like the blinders were off. Everybody listening might be like, oh, duh, of course not. But I... I thought if there's a life-threatening disease and there's a life-saving treatment, there would be no barriers to people getting access to this. Yeah, but the the arm twisting and the pressuring that we had to do with this doctor to get them to do anything more effective for my uncle was just flabbergasting to me. So we were able, through Alex's help, his research and through these new treatments that we were able to get from my uncle, we were able to get him quite a significant amount of extra time. Sadly, he did die from his disease. Again, this is 14 years ago. If what happened for him then was happening now, we would have been able to do much more for him. And that's kind of the main message for folks listening at home. In the last 14 years, there have been thousands of new cancer treatments developed. These are, again, FDA approved. These are not experimental. We're not wondering if they provide benefit to patients or to whom they provide benefit. We know they benefit people. And we know actually the the diagnostics exist right now to test every single gene in every patient's body at a reasonable price, a few thousand dollars per person. That's not outrageous, I don't think, when you're talking about life-threatening illness. So we can test every single gene in a patient's body right now. And we can identify if they even have cancer before solid tumors have formed, 
we can identify what molecular features or, or genetic mutations are driving that cancer. And we can match that patient before they even start their first treatment to the most beneficial treatment of these new thousands of drugs. That's what's possible. That is not what is happening for the average cancer patient. And that is my long-winded way of saying why I'm here doing this thing, why I didn't go back to my career in eating disorders and all of those things, which was very meaningful to me. I just could not do that knowing this mm-hmm. and knowing this wasn't yet part of standard of care for everybody. So my mission is twofold. Fundamentally, big picture mission, make this the standard of care for everybody everywhere as soon as possible. Hold doctors accountable, challenge them in the medical system to do better. That's the big mission and how we're accomplishing that. Uh, we're accomplishing that one person at a time. And one doctor at a time, as we do individual research for each patient and we identify more effective treatments than their standard of care. And we advocate with that patient's doctor and the patient prescribes something new, often with a lot of skepticism. I don't think this is going to work. I really think you're wasting your time. I don't I don't think there's anything better out there for you. And then the test results come in after a couple of months of those patients being on those treatments. It's like, oh, oh. Okay, complete response. Wasn't expecting that. So that's the power of what we do and what's possible for every patient. And uh, my mission is to just make that a thing. Yeah, absolutely. It sounds like such a powerful treatment option for patients to get more personalized care. Can you talk a little bit more about what exactly precision oncology is and how that works and how that is different from other standard treatment care options like uh, sure. chemotherapy? Yeah. If you would allow me a little history lesson about cancer. Yeah. And again, I'm sure people listening here, you've probably educated yourself fairly well, but it can be helpful to just have the kind of the backstory. Specifically, it can be helpful when you're trying to advocate with your doctor and trying to understand why things are the way they are. So bear with me. Up until about the mid 50s, 1950s, All that was available really for cancer patients, regardless of the type of cancer or age at which cancer developed for them, was surgery and radiation. That had been the case for a while. Then in the 50s, as a result essentially of World War II and some observations that were made, doctors started thinking about experimenting with certain toxins like nerve gases, mustard gases, and things like that in smaller doses than than deadly because they realized that that had an effect on certain cells, including cancer cells. So these doctors, they, they were essentially perceived as witch doctors and murderers by a lot of their colleagues, actually, through the 50s and into the 60s. But they had a much higher cure rate overall than the standard of care. Prior to these drugs, which which were chemotherapy drugs that started to be used in the 50s and into the 60s, a lot of cancers, including childhood cancers, you got them, you died. That's just how it was. And certain types of cancers, you had a bit of a better prognosis. Maybe 30% of patients would benefit from standard surgery and radiation. And then when chemo was added, those numbers obviously started to increase for a variety of different cancers. So by the time the 70s came around, chemotherapy was begrudgingly accepted as an effective therapy, but still there was some some judgment. But right about mid-70s is when the field of medical oncology was established because we needed people who understood how chemotherapy drugs worked and how to monitor the side effects of these drugs and make sure that the patient was more benefited than they were harmed. 
And so from the 70s into the early 2000s, that's really all there was for people. You had chemotherapy, you had radiation, which were pretty much done for most people. And then you had a variety of different chemotherapy drugs, and that was it. And that's what medical oncologists had to work with. Then we had this thing called the Human Genome Project, which started in 1999, wrapped up around 2003 with a little addition uh, for transcriptomes in 2022. That's an aside, but for the pedants at home. So 2003, we realized, whoa, cancer is a disease of the genes, and it's, as so many other diseases are. But now we can map the entire genome and we know which genes are predominantly involved. And of course, since 2003, that's only increased. We have a right. test that we've developed in our lab, which I'm I'm sure we'll get to, that is a blood-based test. You don't even need to have had surgery or have a biopsy. It's a blood-based test that can tell you before solid tumors have formed, if you even have cancer. And, and it looks at every gene in your body. And if you do have a known diagnosis of cancer, it can tell you which genes are most prevalent, which are most, which are the primary drivers and which need to be targeted. But we'll get to that in a minute. Yeah, so we've got this human genome project proving that genetics are the key. And immediately the entire industry of uh, pharmaceutical companies associated with oncology drugs and researchers in universities shifted from how do we make chemotherapy better to how do we design drugs that use this information that cancer is a disease of the genes to target the specific genes? And that's when targeted therapies started to be developed. That's when immune therapies started to be developed. And in the last couple of years, a new class of drugs called antibody drug conjugates. Each of those drugs, tar general targeted therapies, immune therapies, and ADCs, antibody drug conjugates, are just knocking it out of the park for patients in yeah. contrast to the standard of care. So, gosh, I've even forgotten your question as I'm diving into this history lesson. But that's essentially what's available now, as I guess the, the whole point is. So chemotherapy was really all there was. And many cancer agencies around the world are still very predominantly first, second, third line even very heavy on the chemo, very light on any genetic testing. And the genetic testing is the critical element because if you haven't had thorough genetic testing, there's no way for your doctor to know which of these many thousands of new drugs is right for you. And that's the problem right now is a lot of cancer agencies, even in uh, North America, where we're fairly advanced with this kind of thing, they're not doing any genetic testing. Or if they are, they're doing very small panels, five, 10, yeah. 20 genes. And what really bothers me about that is not that. I understand things take a while to get established and I understand money is a reality and yeah. medical systems have to work within certain budgets. I don't begrudge that. What my problem with that is, is that medical oncologists will look their patients straight in the eye and say, we tested you and you don't have any markers. Right. That really pisses me off, quite frankly, because that's not true. Uh, well, okay, we tested you with a panel of five to 20 genes when you right. could actually be tested for 21,000 genes. Wow. If they said that, I wouldn't have a problem. But they imply to patients that they've had thorough, thorough testing and sorry, chemo is all that's available to you. And that's frankly just a lie or the doctor is uneducated. And that's what really sticks in my craw in case you can't tell. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it seems like this is such a promising new option for patients. So for a patient that comes to you that has had a cancer diagnosis, can you walk us through the journey that they take? So you talked a little bit about genetic testing and how um, how does that work yeah. and how does CETO make personalized cancer care based off of that? 
Yeah. So we gather the patient's medical records and specifically we're focusing on any of that type of testing, however small that has been done. We're looking at their pathology to identify certain key features of this patient's cancer. We're looking at most recent imaging scans, which in most standard of care is going to be MRI and CT, not the not the, the best imaging like PSMA, PET or PET CT. We're looking at the diagnostics that exist and looking at the treatment plan that the doctor has advised. That's where we start. And from that, we say either uh, on occasion, we will be heard saying, wow, you have a really great doctor. They've done, they've done a lot of good stuff for you and you really are on the best possible thing for you now. That might happen 2% of the time. But it, you know, it has been known to come out of our mouths. Most of the time we will say, okay, based on these diagnostics, we can understand why your doctor has made this prescription. You can think of it as if standard of care is like this, where you've got your surgery, your radiation and your chemotherapy. And then mm -hmm. there's this whole other subset of things called targeted therapies, hundreds and hundreds of them. And then there's these variety of immune therapies. We now know that there are 14 different pathways that cancer can use to evade the immune system. PD-1 is just one of them. Patients at home and advocates will probably have heard of PD-1 and, you know, pembrolizumab, you know, one of the, the early immune therapies. But that's just one. That's just targeting one of 14 pathways that cancer can use to evade the immune system. And there are numerous new drugs and new types of immune therapies. Then we have these antibody drug conjugates. Again, right now there are 6,000 of these drugs in development and they target specific molecular features. These are what are called agnostic drugs, meaning it doesn't matter what kind of cancer you have or what stage of cancer you are. It just matters if you have a certain molecular feature and then this drug is going to benefit you. Thousands of these things right now, very exciting. So we have this, this huge universe of possibility versus what is usually offered. And the main reason for the difference right now is the tests that need to be run in order for your doctor to, to know which, if any of these options are going to benefit you most is just not a part of standard of care. So right. we start by reviewing the medical records and finding out has there miraculously been some testing or not. And we're not gonna reinvent the wheel or do testing that's already been done. But that gives us and the patient a really good sense right up front of okay, so this is what's been done for you now. This test will open these doors for you. This test opens these doors. This test opens these doors. So there's tumor DNA testing that can be done. There's tumor or blood-based RNA testing that can be done. There's different types of targeted therapies associated with HER2, which is not specific to women. Everybody has HER2. And if you have HER2 expression, there's some excellent drugs with low side effects and significant numbers of complete response. So we would identify what testing has already been done. If these tests haven't been run, depending on the stage of the patient, the type of cancer they have, we might recommend all of those tests or we might recommend one or the other, or let's start with this, see what we find. And then if we need to, we can do this one. Uh, every case truly is unique. And then right. based on the test results, we have a team made up of expert researchers, medical doctors, and bioinformatics specialists that will literally take two days to review a patient's test results and make sure that every important detail is considered, as well as looking at, of course, of their existing medical history, any comorbidities. How, are they missing a kidney? Do they have yeah. Crohn's disease or things like this that might influence how they respond to treatment and even what their doctor is willing to prescribe? And that'll get put into a short treatment plan 
that is delivered to the patient in a Zoom meeting. And then once they're on board with whatever treatments that we are finding as, as most advantageous, I should say, it might be obvious that every recommendation we make is going to have peer-reviewed medical science behind it. It's going to be at minimum FDA approved, and it's going to be something that is clearly showing that it is providing patients with your molecular features with longer survival rates and less side effects than your current treatment. So that's our criteria for anything getting onto your treatment plan. From there, we have a team of advocates and patient navigators that will help work with your current treatment team to answer their questions and help them to get on board with writing the prescription that you need most. And if we hit barriers there, which sometimes we do, but not that often, then we have we have ways of getting access through international pharmacies or you know uh, other cancer agencies elsewhere to prescriptions. And the exciting thing too, Anya, is that most of these new drugs are in pill form or self-administered mm -hmm. injection form. So you oh, well. rarely even need to go to a center to receive these. You can just pick them up at the pharmacy and administer yourself. So in terms of quality of life, not only yeah. are we living longer, we're having fewer side effects, but we're spending a lot less time in a hospital with these new types of therapies. Oh, wow. That is amazing. Yeah. So you talked a lot about you know, the thousands of different drugs that are that are coming out and how they're even more specialized for certain markers for a patient. Yeah. So with all of the advancements that's coming that are coming out in precision oncology, what are some of the most promising developments or breakthroughs that excite you the most? You talked about ADCs a little bit. Can you talk a little bit more about those and yeah. kind of how they work as well? So diagnostically, I'll say what's exciting me is these new blood-based tests. Yeah, uh, because it can take so long in most standard care agencies to get a biopsy, let alone have the pathology lab review that biopsy, get the results to your doctor and for you to have a clue what you're dealing with. That can take months. Mm -hmm. And while, you know, if you've got a CT scan or MRI that's showing something fishy or your doctor has said, we think you have cancer, you don't want to wait months to find out what you're dealing with. So for me, these blood-based assays that look across the entire patient genome and can tell you, yes, you do or don't have cancer right away, it takes maybe two weeks for this test to be completed from the time the blood is drawn from the patient, three weeks sometimes. You know exactly what you're dealing with. And, and from that, because it's identified which genes are driving it, we can tell you what treatments are going to serve you and all that from, from the one test, hypothetically. Again, there are some variants, but that's a very real thing. And the new imaging, well, not new, they've been around 20 years, but PET-CT and PSMA-PET, which are finally gaining some recognition. These are imaging scans that are far superior with regard to cancer than the common bone scan, CT, and MRI. In essence, standard of care has to use these three tools you as a patient have to sit for three different tests yeah. to not even get close to the same accuracy as one PET CT scan. So with wow. one scan, you can find out within about 48 hours of your scan, if you do or don't have cancer, it can pick up masses that are 0.8 of a centimeter or larger. So eight millimeters. And it can tell you, you do throughout your entire body, except the brain. So I'm, I'm excited about these technology starting to take over because patients will get more rapid diagnostics. And one of the biggest issues we face in cancer care right now is that patients are getting diagnosed so late, yeah. which for you at home, if this is you, don't worry, don't freak out. There's a may, these new drugs that we're about to talk about, they work very quickly. 
I have a story I'll tell you a little bit later about a stage four patient. But ideally, the sooner we find out, the better for you, uh, the patient, because you're not dealing with all of the extra side effects of cancer having progressed further and bone metastasis and things like this. Little aside, ideally, the diagnostics, these are the things I'm really stoked about because people get a more accurate, more thorough diagnosis faster. That's going to change everything. It's also going to make it pretty impossible for your doctor to put you on standard chemotherapy when you're showing up to their office proving that there's this targeted therapy that's going to give you a complete response. So that's really important too. But when it comes to the drugs, if you had asked me this question a year ago, my answer would have been different, but that's how fast these things change. So in the last year, this new subset of drugs called antibody drug conjugates. Remember I gave you that little mini lecture on chemotherapy a little while ago? We all appropriately kind of cringe when we hear the word chemotherapy because it's toxic and it doesn't make us feel good, even if it does really help. And again, for numerous decades, it was kind of the main tool in the oncologist toolkit and it did save lives. So I'm not going to slag it. I'm just going to say, I understand why you might not like the word if you're listening at home. What an antibody drug conjugate is, is it's a combination of these targeted therapies that are designed to go into the body and seek out only the cells that have a specific molecular feature or genetic mutation. It only affects those cells. Okay. And then it does various things with those cells. It'll, it'll attach to them and, and maybe repair them, make them function a little better. It might expose them to the immune system so the immune system can kind of wake up. That's kind of partly what immune therapy does. It might just kill them directly or do a variety of different things. But again, we've known for a very long time chemotherapy is an effective drug. The issue with chemotherapy has been how to get enough of the drug into the patient without harming the patient. Right. And that's really the big issue. Uh, all the side effects of this toxic drug. What antibody drug conjugates are is a targeted therapy designed to seek out the molecular feature that's driving that particular patient's cancer at that time. And then it carries with it this tiny little minuscule molecule of chemotherapy. Tiny, 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 not a big bag, not throughout your whole body. This is a tiny little molecule. So it binds to the cell and it delivers the drug into the cancer cell directly. And what's really, yeah, so amazing, minimal side effects, maximum benefit. And there's this really neat effect called the bystander effect that we've discovered. Well, not me. I had nothing to do with it. (laughs) Um, But it's exciting for cancer patients because what it means is that if you get one of those antibody drug conjugates and it goes into this cell, if there's a neighboring cell over here that has the same problem, it is, a, it is simultaneously affected. And then it affects the next one and the next one and the next one, again, without it's affecting the surrounding healthy tissues or healthy cells. It's, wow. it's, it's like a little laser rifle that's just going in and it's just taking out the necessary cells. And what's exciting again about this, aside from how effective it is, the numbers of complete responses patients are experiencing from this drug. And again, so complete response means not just every tumor is responding, but you're heading into remission or you're experiencing remission, which is exciting, really. And this is for any type of therapy, really. A little caveat, perhaps, for pancreatic cancer. There's there's some excellent new developments, but pancreatic cancer has this really kind of 
rough crusty edge around it. So we have to be a little more creative about how we get the drugs, but there's some wonderful developments for that as well now. But for me, this is the exciting thing because not only is this highly effective, but as I mentioned earlier, each of these drugs of which there are about 6,500 in clinical trial right now, and hundreds that have already been approved, they are approved with agnostic approval. And that means you don't have to have a particular type of cancer. Before, how frustrating was this? You could prove with your genetic testing that this was the right targeted therapy for you, but because it wasn't approved for your type of cancer, you couldn't get it. Mm -hmm. How crazy making is that? So obviously we had ways and workarounds, but it was a lot of extra red tape. And oftentimes patients might've had to pay out of pocket for certain drugs that really were perfect for them. Now these new drugs have this agnostic approval, which means if you can show genetic tests and the RNA test that I was telling you about is really the key here. If you can show through genetic testing of your blood or tumor tissue that you have this particular molecular feature that this drug targets, you can get that prescription. It doesn't matter what type of cancer you have. So these are the drugs I'm super stoked about for all of those reasons right now. Wow. That sounds super exciting. And it's crazy Mm -hmm. that it's like you mentioned that last year, your answer would have been completely different, that this has just come out in the past year. Yeah. Um, It shows such promising results. Yeah, really it does. And of course, you guys are working in the clinical trial realm. So you will have better numbers than I, I'm sure about the numbers of trials that are testing these new antibody drug conjugates. But our recent look on on the website that collates this data said about 6,500. And there will be, again, I've I've rattled on about this number, 20,813 genes that we can test now. That's every gene in the human body that we know of there will almost certainly be one of these antibody drug conjugates for every one of them. Wow. You know? There will eventually be something out there for almost everyone. Who's That's there. right. Yeah. Well, this is it. This is, this is what I'm really excited about is right now there is guaranteed to be better options for you than standard of care diagnostics or treatment would be providing you. But in a very short period of time, we, we are reaching a point where in standard of care, I fully believe, and it's my mission to make this a thing, on an annual basis, in the same way that you might go to the lab and get routine blood work, you will Mm -hmm. get one of these RNA tests every year, a little blood test every year that looks to see, hey, is any sort of cancer starting to develop? And then you will be assessed for any, any genes that are showing up with higher expression than they should be in their involvement in cancer. And then you might have one or two injections or take, you know, a couple of months of a pill and, and you yeah. never even technically had cancer and you're, you're fine and you're off to the races. And I, yeah. I really believe this isn't science fiction and I'm not out to lunch. This is a yeah. thing that is manageable now. It's a thing we can do. And I think it's just a matter of time before this becomes the standard of care. So people never get to stage four. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously, like if you're able to catch it earlier before symptoms show up and better for patients, absolutely. better for everyone. Yeah. The the economists that decide, you know, what is the cost of, of caring for a patient and cancer care and where can the money go and how much money do we have to spend? I had some calls with them years ago when I was trying to figure out why is it not happening for everybody? What is going on? And I needed answers. And essentially, the the fundamental answer is we don't have the money right now to keep up and to, to hire the staff 
to do this research and and then of course the implementation of all the new stuff and all the new training and the facilities that we required and it made sense to me i i understand there's a lot that's going to have to change it's a whole new way it is literally the evolution of cancer care we're talking about now but one of the things they also told me is that the two main expenses for the cancer care system really the things that cost them the most are diagnostics and palliative care Oh, not, wow. not the yeah. treatments. Yeah, it's the, the end of life care that it, that is most costly. So the reason I'm telling you that in context with this is if we can stop that, if we can say we're not we're going to have so many hundreds of thousands of people in our country and Canada alone that never need that palliative care. We can put a little bit more money into our diagnostics and into giving people a couple of months of these targeted therapies or these antibody drug conjugates for their molecular features, and we'll still be ahead. I guess to pivot a little bit, and you touched on this a little bit briefly before, but with how successful these treatments are, can you share a success story from a patient that's come to you and where they've undergone this precision oncology and how that's made an impact on their treatment journey? Yeah, I was alluding to a stage four patient. We just conducted an interview with her and she's given me carte blanche to share her information. And I'll send you a link to the interview. We're just doing uh, some editing, taking out the the ums and the ahs a little bit for people. Her name is Gail. Gail came to us. She had been being treated for a while for an orphan cancer. So a, a unique type of ovarian cancer. Her doctor was was very much out of options almost from the start and was very, very good doctor and really wanted to do well for this patient, but hands were tied. The, the diagnostics they could access were limited because it was an orphan cancer. They had basically, okay, we'll try this chemo and then we'll try that chemo and that's what we can do for you. This lady is a go-getter, fabulous self-advocate, was not prepared to just accept that. So she called our team and we conducted a thorough genetic assessment for her. And our team was able to identify that a particular gene was hugely overexpressed for her. So not just twofold, but like 150-fold. It was massively overexpressed. And this particular gene is known to influence or prevent certain therapies from working. It gets in the way of these therapies. So in and of itself, it's not necessarily driving the cancer, but it's stopping treatment from working. So, so once we found that, we realized, okay, well, if we got her on this targeted therapy for certain of the other molecular features she has, and we added this one, which kind of soaks up, you could say, for want of better phrasing, that, that one mutation that's getting in the way and preventing all of these things from working, this should actually be highly effective for her because there's so much of this one yeah. there. So this patient, we gave her all of this education. We had numerous calls with her before she met with her doctor again, which is part of our protocol to make sure she was really well educated about what we found, what it actually means, why it's going to benefit her and how to speak to her doctor about it. And again, remember, this is a doctor who was very helpful, Yeah. which isn't always the case uh, for lots of reasons. So she had to sit there with this doctor, sharing this information and going over and over it again, literally for one hour. She kept him in the room for one hour. How often do you ever get an hour of your doctor's time? This doctor was not thrilled. He was not thrilled. Arms were crossed. Face was not happy. And she just kept, because we had coaxed her and she, and she again, was a good, strong self-advocate. She, she just kept saying, help me to understand why not. You're, you, you have given me no options this data proves that this is going to work for me. And fundamentally, he had to admit, I'm just not familiar with this. 
So I, I feel uncomfortable because my job as a medical oncologist, and understandably so, is to be responsible for the prescriptions I issue and for the symptoms that these are going to give you. And I've never worked with this drug before. So naturally, I'm a bit uncertain. And this is a very common phenomenon that patients come up against is doctors. It's not that they don't want to do the best for the patient. It's that they have a lot of things they need to also be considering, including their own medical license, you know, and, and working with a drug they're not familiar with will take extra time. These doctors are overworked. They've got at least four times the number of patients that they should have. Some are seeing 10 times the number of patients because we're yeah. so short on oncologists. Some patients as you might know at home, <clears throat> never even get a medical oncologist, just a surgeon or a radiation specialist because there isn't a medical oncologist to see them. Mm -hmm. So there's lots of lots of issues. Point is the doctor finally said, you're not leaving without this prescription, are you? And she said, no, I'm not. And he said, well, all right, I'll write this prescription, but you're not going to be able to get funding, <clears throat> and which was true. So that's when we worked our, our patient navigation magic and we got this patient, this drug through another pharmacy, 80% off the Canadian pharmacy prices. Um, oh. Yeah, massive reduction. <clears throat> so it cost her a couple of thousand dollars a month. She did two months of this drug and then she saw her doctor again and the doctor said, uh, I'm gonna get you a CT because I want you to know that this drug isn't working. I want you to be able to see that this drug isn't working so you don't waste any more of your money. He was still so skeptical, even though she was feeling so great. Meanwhile, we had done blood-based monitoring tool a few weeks after she started. We knew this drug was working amazingly well for her. Lo and behold, guess what the CT showed? Complete response, complete response. The doctor was blown away. The patient was so thrilled, who wouldn't be? Any cancer patient, but especially stage four, no more options. Yeah. Complete response within two months. But guess what? This is even better. Not only was this doctor humble enough to admit that they had been mistaken. And again, that's part of my massive mission, wake these doctors up to what's possible, yep. get them on board doing these things for their patients as a, as a start. But because of the success that this patient had had on this treatment, the public healthcare system now started paying for it. So oh, wow. yeah, and this is what we see all the time. If yeah. you, it's not how it should be, but this is what is possible right now. If you as a patient take it upon yourself to get these thorough diagnostics, to get this evidence, and maybe only about 10% of the time or less do patients have to pay out of pocket like mm -hmm. this person, Gail, did. Most of the time we can get you coverage. But if you do have to pay out of pocket, you'll only have to do that for a couple of months. And then once you can show through a standard of care diagnostic that this treatment is working for you, the public healthcare system is obligated to start helping you with it. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. It's not like you'll be paying out of pocket indefinitely. No, yeah. she'll probably do a couple more months. So, you know, two months that she paid privately, probably another four months that the public healthcare system will pay. She might not even need that much given the responses she's had, but we want to be extra super duper careful. And she's not having any adverse side effects from these drugs. So why not? Yeah. Wow. That's an amazing story. I know. And this is just one. This is not like I've cherry picked the best possible story. This is just the most recent interview we've done and very, very recent. But this is this is the outcome. This is why I'm so excited about what is happening now in cancer care and about precision cancer medicine and why I'm so committed to this being applied immediately to every patient. No patient needs to be dealing with just standard of care. There's absolutely a time and a place for surgery, radiation, and maybe even chemo in the form of these ADCs. 
but not the same time for everybody. Yeah. And another thing that's really interesting for people is many patients might have been told, oh, you have metastasis, surgery is not an, an option for you. Or your tumor is too large. We don't want to do surgery for you. Well, you get this testing. You get on this drug for a couple of months, reduce the size of these masses, roll back that metastases, and guess what? Surgery is on the table for you now. Okay, so there's that option too, where you're just able to reduce the size or reduce the metastases. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. And wow, that's yeah. an amazing story mm-hmm. as well. I guess to round us off and to end our uh, podcast episode off, for someone that's considering seeking personalized cancer care, what advice or steps would you recommend they take in order to make informed decisions about their journey? Without sounding too self-serving. Right. (laughs) Have a consultation with our team. We are the experts. We have been here since the very beginning when doctors were claiming we were the witch doctors and we were using non-evidence-based, even though we were using FDA-approved therapies. But our team has had its finger on the pulse of the most current and most beneficial treatments. One of, one of our poster child clients, our team, nine years ago now, were the very first to bring immune therapy into Canada. And the patient that we brought it for was stage four, told to get her affairs in order. She had young children at home. Her whole mission was just to to live long enough to see them graduate. That happened years ago. She's still cancer-free now. So there's so much that's possible. And our team is always 10 steps ahead of everybody else, including my OMD Anderson, Johns Hopkins, and I can prove that. So the, the answer I would give with all authenticity is have a consultation with our team. Let us meet with you for an hour and talk through everything that's known about your cancer. Be the most educated you can possibly be about the most current possibilities for you. Uh, You don't have to have our help with testing. We can tell you where to go. That's part of our advocacy is if you Mm -hmm. wanna do it yourself, we'll show you exactly how. We'll give you step-by-step guidance for how to arrange your own testing, how to do your own research. Obviously we're experts. We're gonna you know, have a few extra gears and we're gonna be able to do it faster and with minimal hassle for you, but we're, we're not trying to make it so we do everything for everybody. We just want this done for everybody and we will be happy to show you how, but it starts with that one hour consultation. It's a precision second opinion consultation. We'll gather your records. We'll look through everything. You get a, a recording of the call with us so you can just be fully present and engaged. You don't have to remember everything and we'll give you a written summary with references and we will help advocate with your doctors for access to any treatments that we identify in this consult and usually we find one or two and then of course additional testing helps to create that vast universe of possibilities as well so that would be the advice i would give and then from there of course oftentimes what we end up doing is recommending you folks actually will usually have a treatment option or two that we can advise and then sometimes the treatments are they are accessible, but through clinical trial. And with our data and Heal Mary, it is so easy to get into a clinical trial right now. And as you know, very few people actually have to ever travel to be in a clinical trial now. It's very different in the same way that there are thousands of options, not just chemotherapy. There are, as you well know, over 100,000 clinical trials for cancer right now. And, and you guys can help people access them all. So, you know, it's a kind of a, a, a very sweet team here with yeah. us identifying what's gonna serve you, the patient best, and then either helping you to get your doctor to get it or hooking you up with Heal Mary so they can help you get it through clinical trial. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's 
sound advice considering everything that we've talked about. Thank you so much, Michelle, for taking the time to talk about CTOM and what you do and kind of all the exciting things that are happening in the world of cancer care. And thank you so much yeah. for, I guess, pushing the needle forward and kind of making this part of standard care. Yeah, that's our mission. Thank you. And and thank you as well. And Cassandra and the whole Hill Mary team for everything you do. It is a team effort. Yeah. This whole cancer thing. No one person, no one agency, no one researcher, no one test, no one treatment. There isn't one cure that we're keeping from you. The, the, the science is every cancer is unique. Every cancer is unique. The molecular features of your cancer are going to be different from the person sitting at the cancer agency beside you, finding out what's driving your bus and just keeping an eye on the most current treatments and just switching to the next one, to the next one yeah. as needed until you get to that complete response is the evolution of cancer care. And it's definitely a possible thing without you having to change doctors, without you having to travel and a lot of the time without you having to pay out of pocket for the treatment. Yeah. It's an exciting future. Yeah, Definitely. yeah. So cancer diagnoses are scary, of course. It's natural to be anxious, but this protocol is the best way to have legitimate peace of mind, not just hope for the best and bury your head in the sand, but know exactly what you're dealing with. And as we've talked about today, there are thousands of treatment options guaranteed. There's going to be a few that work for you. And that is the, actually another thing I should mention is when patients engage in our full testing protocol, we do guarantee that we will find you a treatment option better than what you're doing right now. This is not a crapshoot. We're not guessing. It's a, it's a guarantee. Yeah, absolutely. That's exciting. I'm so thankful for the work that you do. It sounds so exciting and so impactful. So thank you so much. And thank you so much for taking the time. Yeah. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it.